Hey guys, Bill here. We're going to be talking with Peter King of NBC Sports about the NFL Draft in a minute. But first, if you did not do it last week, I don't know why. It was great, but tune in to The Last Dance, a behind-the-scenes look at the 1990 Chicago Bulls dynasty. The series continues this Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And you can listen to the wrap-up podcast hosted by Jalen and Jacoby immediately following the broadcast presented by State Farm. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The coverage is also brought to you by AT&T. That's going to be available wherever you enjoy your podcast, so subscribe to that and subscribe to The Bill Barnwell Show, which is on its way right now. And now joining me, as promised, here on The Bill Barnwell Show, it is an absolute legend of the football community, my friend from NBC Sports, Peter King. Peter, how are you? Bill, you're so nice. Thanks a lot. Good uh, good to be on with you. It's going to be fun to talk draft with you. Yeah, I'm excited. This is a very interesting draft. Obviously, for so many reasons, this is an atypical draft. We were recording this on Tuesday just after the mock draft from the NFL that took place yesterday. So let's just start with that, actually. In terms of the attempted mock draft yesterday, how do you hear that went? Um. You know, I don't know. I just heard on social media, I think, from Adam and Diana Rossini that there was a little hiccup at first, and then it went fine. Um, But, you know, this is going to be my 62-year-old man rant um, (laughs) about, uh, about the media and about what we choose to emphasize and what we choose to not emphasize. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is bill that, uh, basically there are three ways to communicate a draft pick to Ken Fiore, the keeper of the picks, mm-hmm. uh, who will be at home in garden city, long Island, uh, working from his house. He's normally the guy that when a, general manager calls in a pick to his table at draft headquarters and says, you know, uh, when Duke Tobin calls his guy at the draft for the Bengals, he says, Hey, write down Joe Burrow, QB, LSU, and bring it up to Ken Fiore. So this time there's going to be three ways to get to Ken Fiore. One, you can go on the encrypted and sophisticated Microsoft teams channel, and you can write in your, your pick and send it to Ken Fiore. Mm-hmm. Number two, there's going to be an open conference call that is going to have three people from every team eligible to join. And it's going to be a muted phone call. So you could get on the phone and communicate with somebody at NFL headquarters and say, this is Duke Tobin of the Cincinnati Bengals. We are taking uh, Joe Burrow quarterback, Louisiana State. Or you can call Ken Fiore on his cell phone and you can say, hey, Ken, this is Duke Tobin with the Bengals. We're taking Joe Burrow, quarterback to LSU. Okay. Now, I believe that most kindergartners could figure out a way to communicate <laughs> how the dra- how, who you're picking in the draft. And uh, I have been... I've watched with hilarity people make a big deal out of this. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal. And uh, I don't think there's going to be, if there's a story after the draft 
about somebody's internet going out or something happening or whatever, say what? You don't have a phone? You guys lost Ken Fiore's number? <laughs> I mean, it, it just, it's one of those things that it's, anybody who can't figure out how to communicate a draft pick in time to the NFL headquarters in New York is, is, uh, is not very smart. (laughs) I mean, I, I, you know, I I do think we're going to have a pretty smooth draft in the long run, but we have seen in real life, for example, we saw the Vikings a few years ago, uh, not get a pick in, in time. Yes. Now that's a different story than saying like Ron Rivera told me last week or two weeks ago that he and Kyle Smith who will be drafting for Washington mm-hmm. have decided they haven't figured they hadn't figured out at that time but they've decided at let's say the two minute mark of their pick mm-hmm. at the two minute mark they were going to basically say we're closed we're making our pick uh, and somehow, some way, they're going to communicate to New York that they're taking Chase Young or whoever it is they're going to take. So there may be some teams that have a difficult time trading. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, there, there's one team where general manager told me the other day that he's really worried about a general manager calling him and him being on the phone and not getting to pick up his call in time. Mm-hmm. And if it's during a time where you might want to trade the pick. And I just said to him, uh, why don't you get another cell phone and have two numbers so that <laughs> you always have a fail safe. If Bill Belichick really wants to meet you, you give him two numbers. If the mm-hmm. first one doesn't answer, call the second one. Mm-hmm. And it def- one of those two will answer. And, uh, he said, I'm going to do that. Now, whether he does it or not, I don't know. But <laughs> the weakness of trades this year is that you're not going to be in the same place with the other people in your organization who will take mm-hmm. phone calls, lean over to you and say, hey, listen, I've got the Panthers on the phone. They're going to give us a two and a three for our one. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be a little bit different. But I think that most of those trades are going to be able to go down anyway. Now, I my pet theory is some general manager is going to say uh, a few hours after the draft, you know what, we had a great offer to give to Seattle for their for their fifth round pick, mm-hmm. but we tr- we just couldn't get John Schneider on the phone, and so maybe that happens. But as far as uh, for major things. I just don't really think that the technology is going to be an impediment to running this draft the way a normal draft runs. Mm -hmm. So in the broader sense, in terms of your talks with coaches and executives, in in, in terms of how everything related to coronavirus is impacting this draft, how different uh, and, and how difficult do you sense the preparation process for this draft has been for, for those coaches and for those executives? Well, I think my favorite story to tell in this regard, somebody who I wrote about in my column about three weeks ago, it's a guy by the name of Ashton Davis. He's a, uh, he's a safety from Cal, and he's a walk-on at Cal. He was not a great player in high school, and he's a much better, or entered Cal as a much better track athlete. He's a sprinter, 
and I forget which of the sprints he he was the Pac-10, you know, 200 meter champion or something like that. I don't know what it is, but he's won the Pac-10 uh, in uh, uh, in one or two of these, you know, races. So, uh, so every, every spring, uh, at least for the first couple of years, Ashton Davis was a, a track athlete. And so he never would do spring practice. Mm -hmm. And so when the scouts would come around, he never really got on their radar very much until, uh, last year. And, uh, and so, uh, by the time, uh, he was getting looked at a lot. He got hurt. He got a core muscle injury. He had surgery in December, and he wasn't ready to work out at the combine. By the time he was ready to work out, they canceled the Cal Pro Day. Mm-hmm. He couldn't work out for anybody, and he was he was a mystery. As one GM told me a couple of weeks ago, he's the draft's mystery man. So Ashton Davis, instead of being able to work out for anybody, couldn't. He paid his own way and flew to Philadelphia to have the best core muscle surgery guy examine him mm-hmm. to give tell everybody in the NFL he's got a clean bill of health. But the fact is, you know, I, he doesn't know where he'll be picked. I have no idea where he'll be picked. He couldn't do a pro day. People don't really know him. Uh, I saw, I forget whose mock had him as the 33rd player taken, but he, mm-hmm. he might be the 100th player taken. You know, you just simply don't know. He probably is the fat. I, I feel sure he's the fastest safety in the draft, but he didn't get to run a forty for anybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the that is what's happening in this draft. I'm not saying he's the only one. There's probably about a hundred people. Gil Brandt told me a great, great story about the defensive backs at the scouting combine. There were 34 corners, and only 10 of them did all of the drills. And did all of the, the, the tests and the lifts and all that stuff to do everything at the scouting combine. 24 people had things left to do that they were going to do on their pro day. So 24 out of 34 corners, the NFL doesn't, other than Kate of watching games, mm-hmm. they don't have their full combine report, which is exceedingly rare. Those are the kind of things that teams are going to have to figure out uh, how they're going to handle it. From the fan side, do you think that makes it a more entertaining draft? Because, uh, you know, to some extent, maybe you'll have players coming off the board at unexpected places. You know, Bill, that's a great, great question. I do think it's going to be a very unexpected draft because uh, because of a lot of uncertainty. I theorize that the reason why all our mock drafts are going to stink is because the people who we call around the NFL to try to find out who's going to get picked where mm-hmm. none of those people with the pro days this year. So the gossip from sidling up to coach a or coach B or GMC mm-hmm. at the, uh, at the, at the pro days, those don't exist. And right. it wouldn't be necessarily normal for you know, coach A to go up to general manager B and say, Hey, who do you like here? It just, it's not really what now a lot of them, if they're friends, if they're real friends, they may do that, but it's not a natural way of doing business. So that's going to be one of the reasons why it's going to be a big surprise because 
so many of these players. Uh, we We don't know where they're going, not only because they haven't had time to do the thorough testing, but um, teams have been on their own in evaluating them. Uh, I thought, uh, was it Dan Orlovsky or, no, it was um, uh, Daniel Jeremiah. He mm-hmm. tweeted last week, I used this in my column, that, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot less groupthink because guys right. haven't been together on the road at pro days and afterwards going to the next one, having a beer and, and going over their list of, you know, hey, do you think Henderson's as good as Okuda? Or mm-hmm. you know, who's the, who? You know, how how high do you think AJ Terrell's going to go? You know that that kind of stuff. You know, right? Yeah, I mean, it's really going to be, I think, very fascinating. Uh, in terms of you mentioned the tape and that teams are really working off of tape for 2020 because they didn't get that pro day information, that supplementary information. In thinking about 2021, I, I, in terms of your conversations again with people in the NFL. Uh, we don't know whether there's going to be a 20, a 2021, I guess a 2020, excuse me, college football season for the 2021 NFL draft. Do you think, or have you heard about teams who are concerned about that in terms of what they might get for information next year? And do you think that could impact the draft this year? Here's the point that I, I heard from a few people over the weekend. I didn't write about it. Um, because it's a little bit of a down-the-rabbit-hole thing right, to write about. Uh, and after 13,400 words, you just say, <laughs> okay, I, at some point I need to live a real life now. Um, but but, but my, I'll tell you what's really, really interesting, Bill. Last, last week, I forget who said it. It might have been Bob Bowlesby. Uh, some big wig from you know some conference in in college sports, uh, like a commissioner or something, and he said he said this very simple sentence: "How can there be college football if the colleges are not open?" Right. And so that led me to ask a few people this question over the weekend. You know. Uh, do you think there's any chance that the draft choices this year are going to be more valuable than in a normal year? Because I'm not saying there won't be a draft next year, but the draft might be very weird next year if there's either a limited or no college football. I mean, I, what, what would the draft be if there's no college football? Right. I, and, and I'm not even suggesting that there won't be college. I'm, ju- I'm just saying if, if. And mm-hmm. so that's why, um, yeah, Bill, I'll give you like the impact on this draft, okay? If I were the Miami Dolphins, mm-hmm. I would, you know, the, the Miami Dolphins have three ones and two twos this year. They have two ones and two twos next year. That's nine prime picks over the next two drafts. So why wouldn't you at the very least, at least think of, at least think of, if you're thinking about taking an edge rusher with your second pick in the first round, which they are doing, if you're thinking about that, why wouldn't you trade two ones and two twos 
for the second pick, offer two ones and two twos to Washington mm. and go draft Chase mm. Young. I'm not, and I, hey, who knows? Maybe they have, but why wouldn't you? I would at least think about that pretty seriously, not having any idea what the college game is going to look like in 2020. I think you have to at least have that conversation in a way that you yeah. wouldn't in a typical year. And yeah, I mean, you know, I think even if you can't assume, even if you can't say for sure, we know, hey, it's going to be a shortened season or there's not going to be a season or, you know, there's only going to be a conference schedule. Who knows? I mean, we have no idea. But I think if you're a forward-thinking organization, which some teams are, some teams are not, I think you have to at least be factoring that in when you think about, you know, those sort of borderline trades where you think about a team like, let's say a team like Baltimore at the end of the first round where someone might offer them a 2021 first-round pick for their first-round selection. Maybe you make that trade in the typical year, but you don't make that trade now because you don't know what you're going to get. I don't think there's the any way. You're right about that. I don't think there's any way that uh, that they would make that trade this year um, because, you know, clearly you have no idea what the future holds. Mm-hmm. I, I And again, I, in my opinion, if the Patriots did trade up into the teens uh, somewhere to try to get Tua, which is my harebrained scheme, <laughs> which I have absolutely no reason to say that it could happen other than, you know, there's an 8% chance that it could happen. Mm-hmm. But but in this particular case, the big chip for the Patriots would be a 2021 first-round pick to San Francisco. This is going to sound crazy. If I were the 49ers, I might want their 2022 one. Mm-hmm. I don't blame you. You know, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. It's, I, it's all, it's all, uh, it, it just, it's, it's all just total speculation. But I will say this, it's speculation, but you should be thinking about it right now because this weekend's events and who you pick this weekend is going to impact uh, quite a lot in the days come in the months coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about your mock draft that you put in your column on Monday. And of course, the the thing that excited me the most, uh, if I'm being honest as a reader, is the Tua Tagovailoa trade going to the Patriots at 13. You mentioned they traded up with the 49ers in this deal, give up a uh, 2021 first round pick. And I think we've seen, you know, over the past few days and in other mock drafts or other you know, other reporters talking about what they're hearing, it does seem like we're seeing either smokescreen surrounding Tua Tango-Vailoa or we're seeing teams who are not especially interested in Tua Tango-Vailoa, presumably because of that hip. So, I mean, what do you think, and this is obviously something you do on Twitter all the time, so I'm going to ask you for a percentage here, what do you think the chances are that whether it's the Patriots or somebody else that we do see Tua Tango-Vailoa drop out of the top 10 in this draft? Uh, I would say 57.2%. Really? Um, the reason that I don't have, I don't think, I mean, I think it's basically 50-50. I'll just tell you this. Most of the people who I talked to over the weekend, the majority maybe, I mean, I talked to, you know, 12 GMs and one coach mm-hmm. who are very into the draft. Okay, mm-hmm. and into what's going to happen, you know, right. into who goes where. Um, 
the majority thought that two was slipping out of the top ten. Mm-hmm. So, wow. but you know, I've always you always know, Bill. It only takes one. Yes, and you know the Carolina could the Carolina Panthers shock the world? I think it's unlikely at seven. I think it's unlikely because Carolina at seven. Um, you're assuming that they wouldn't keep both Bridgewater and Tua for two years, mm-hmm. and if they got to get rid of Bridgewater next year, it's a twenty million dollar cap hit. Do you want to do that? I probably wouldn't. Right. Um, it's one thing to say. To a healthy, would you take him and risk having to take a $20 million cap hit? Yes, I might do that. But uh, And then look at the other teams, the Chargers. I don't know. Maybe the Chargers will take him. Maybe Dean Spanos will put his thumb on the scale and say, I know you don't want him, but we really need him mm-hmm. to Tom Telesco. So I, and I don't, know what, I don't know what Telesco would say. So, you know, he could very well go in the top ten. But if you're asking me right now, my gut feeling, I'd say he would not. Really interesting. One thing I found interesting that I haven't really seen a lot of talk about, maybe it's just me focusing on on something a little too closely uh, when it comes to the Miami Dolphins, but this offseason, they fired uh, Chad O'Shea, who was their offensive coordinator, and they hired Chan Gailey, who had been retired. And Chan Gailey, right. we know, has had a lot of success, or his, his, I would say, uh, at least in the past decade or so. Obviously, he's had a long NFL career, but over the last decade, he's worked very well specifically with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick has had his best success in Buffalo, with the Jets, and now presumably in Miami with Chan Gailey as his OC. So when they made that move, it sort of made me wonder if they were expecting to draft a quarterback who would play this year. Whether this makes me think that they might draft Tua and give him a redshirt year, whether it makes me think that they're not going to draft a quarterback at all. I mean, I, I, I would be shocked if they didn't draft a quarterback, but do, does, does that play into things for you at all? Or does that just sort of, you know, doesn't matter that much in the, in the, the bigger picture of what the Dolphins. I don't need think to it do? would. I mean, like, you know, Stephen Ross has been, um, Stephen Ross has been jonesing for, you know, his Marino for yeah. three years. So, the fact that they hired a coordinator who might be there one or two years, I doubt is going to have anything to do with their opinion of who they should take in the draft. That's just my gut feeling. I don't, maybe, maybe, maybe Chan Gailey's there for five years, but this is all about getting the quarterback of the future. And, and again, I forget who said it. Somebody on some show said (laughs) that, they don't think that the Dolphins are going to actually pick a quarterback this year, that they're going to put it off till next year. I, I'm not, I have no knowledge of that. And maybe it ha- maybe that happens. That would shock me. Yeah. That would shock me. And I'll tell you why it would shock me mostly because uh, if you look at the Miami Dolphins right now, they're playing in a division with, a Jets team that has a ways to go mm-hmm. and a wounded Patriots team. And, and again, you know, the Patriots needed to win that game in week 17 last year. Anybody who watched the game saw that the Dolphins outplayed them. They did. And in Foxborough. And, and so, and now, <clears throat> you know, Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer might be the Patriots quarterback this year. <clears throat> so I, I'm just saying that 
I don't see Miami being four and twelve, you know, right. and getting whoever I don't know Trevor Lawrence and there's one other guy I guess I don't even know, but mm-hmm. I don't see Miami be I don't see Miami having a top five pick next year. That's mm-hmm. that's all I'm saying. So why they wouldn't take a quarterback this year is just bizarre. It's bizarre. Yeah, anyway. I think they have to realistically. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and if you're the Dolphins and you're sitting there with the fifth overall pick and you know that the Lions' third pick is up for grabs, and you're worried about a team jumping you, if not for yeah. Tua, then for Justin Herbert. I mean, how much are you willing to give up uh, if you're the Dolphins to move from five to three? Third, the 39th pick. I probably would mm-hmm. not give the 26th pick to move up there because um, all you have to do is look at history. And I'm saying history might kick you in the teeth. Right. But... Uh, Tom Telesco of the Chargers has not traded, uh, has not traded on draft weekend for the last three drafts. Yeah, they stayed. He put. just sat and picked his. He sat and picked his guys, his picks. So I'm, and again, I think he's a really bright general manager, and he, if he is madly in love with Justin Herbert, which I don't think Miami knows. In my opinion, my opinion, mm-hmm. I think Miami really has to try to move up to three and take whichever quarterback they like. Because, um, you know, I, I, I forget who who told me this. It was in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. But they gave up a lot when they went and traded up to get the Carson Wentz pick and then mm-hmm. picked Wentz. And, you know, the story there was uh, they overpaid for it. But as as was said inside the building, how sick would you feel if we didn't give up whatever the final, you know, piece of gold they have to give to Cleveland to get this pick. Uh, How sick would you feel if, because we weren't willing to give up the 73rd pick in the draft, we lost the quarterback who we thought was going to be our franchise guy. So, and again, that's just, so if you're Miami and you don't want to take any risk of, uh, of missing out on the quarterback who you want, in my opinion, I think they should, trade up but hey we'll see what happens yeah absolutely um we've heard rumors of teams like the falcons and the eagles moving up for a cornerback in the falcons case or a wide receiver in the eagles case Uh, in in terms of teams who are not the falcons or eagles is there a team in the bottom half of the draft where in your mock draft you've really wanted to project them moving up but just couldn't find a fit or think it would take a particular scenario, but a team you think is at least, you know, giving serious consideration to moving up in the bottom half of the draft? All right. Well, you know, I'll just go over a few teams. Atlanta really wants to move up. I believe that he uh, – I believe that Thomas Dimitrov, who has a history of moving up, yep. um, wants to move up for Jeff Okuda or C.J. Henderson. Um, I think it's going to be very hard to do because I've got both those guys being gone by the ninth pick. Right. But it's not impossible. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Um, the, the other candidates, you know, if I'm right and Philadelphia really uh, likes Henry Ruggs, um, they would be a candidate to move up into the mid-teens. Mm-hmm. Um, Howie Roseman tends to like to move back instead right. of moving up. He likes to accumulate draft capital. Um, would not be shocked if uh, I hear the Vikings really, really like Justin Jefferson, your LSU wide receiver. 
they certainly could move up and get him right at about the midpoint of the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, and and look, there's a bunch of other teams that have a history of trading. Uh, John Schneider has traded his first round pick down eight years in a row. They're at 27. <laughs> They're obviously a very good candidate to go down high in the second round. Baltimore at 28. They move they move up, down, and sideways. <laughs> I haven't taken Kenneth Murray, and I think if Kenneth Murray was there, let's say at 25, I think Eric DaCosta would say, we never expected Kenneth Murray to be here. We're going to try to move up and get him at, say, 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, look, uh, I think Dallas is always a candidate to um, – to move either up or down. I've heard that that they really like Cesar Ruiz, the center from Michigan, might move into the lower part of the first round to, to do that. Um, and the, probably the silliest rumor of all, I called it the craziest rumor, was Kansas City, um, you know, moving up to try to get Henry Ruggs. That was the craziest rumor I heard. And I certainly don't believe it, but... It was told to me by somebody that uh, I didn't dismiss it out of hand. I probably should have because when I wrote it as the craziest rumor I heard, um, I got 48 calls from talk shows <laughs> everywhere from Wichita to Columbia, Missouri. Uh, come on our show and talk about us getting Henry Ruggs. And, you know, so anyway, uh, so that was that was a fun that was a few fun texts and calls. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's a uh, such an interesting spot because you know um, you know you have these teams like the Ravens for example. The Ravens have five picks in the first three rounds. They're a fourteen and two team. They can do whatever they want. If they want to trade up into the top ten, they can pull it off if they really really want to. So, How about this for the Ravens? How about this for the Ravens though? All right, think of this. I like this is sort of my pet. Uh, theory in this in this draft, okay, like who would take Jalen Hurts? And if somebody takes Jalen Hurts, I think it's got much more of a chance. Uh, he's got much more of a chance to be taken mm-hmm. um, by a team to use him as a more sophisticated Taysom Hill mm-hmm. than he, they would use him to be a backup quarterback in a in a and an heir to whoever your quarterback is. So mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if the Steelers took him in the second round. Uh, and I would not be shocked if the Ravens took him at 55. Um, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I think there's going to be a lot of fun uh, projections in this draft that maybe are a little bit unusual. Yeah. And a lot of interesting players who, you know, fit different ways as well. Um, finishing up here. No Jordan Love in the first round for you. Uh, is that just an issue of teams just not seeing him as a first-round talent? I mean, Bill, I didn't. I just didn't hear it. I never heard his name much. Really? I don't think he's going to the Saints. I don't hear anything linking him to the Patriots. I don't know whether he'd go to New England or not, but I, I just, you know, I didn't hear any logical uh place for him to go in the first round and that's why I didn't put him there. I'm not saying that he he won't go. I'm just mm-hmm. saying I could not find anybody to put to to link Jordan Love to late in the first round. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I wonder if he's a guy where someone trades up, uh, whether the beginning of the end of round one, beginning of round two, I think he could be kind of that guy who's on the, the, the cusp there. But Peter, I mean, absolutely a blast talking about the draft with you. Uh, er- everyone on the planet Thanks, knows, know, knows where you, where you, where you work and how to find you. But let's say someone wanted to find you on Twitter <laughs> or, or find your column. Where can they do that? Well, I'm Peter underscore King on Twitter and, um, uh... You can find me all over NBCSports.com or ProFootballTalk.com. And uh, I write every Monday. I don't write other days as I used to, but, um, you know, I I tend to, at least I have recently, I kind of make up for it on Monday because these are the longest off-season columns I've ever written as a sports writer. And one of the reasons is, Bill, I mean, I, even though it's a non-traditional fascinating time it is a totally ridiculously fascinating time covering the nfl right now and i just think if if you don't i i i like every wednesday thursday i say man i there's already 10 things i know that i want to write about next week i i mean and so i i'm i hate to say it because it's i don't mean that that i've uh that i'm I'm happy this is happening because obviously I'm not. It's a morose thing to think about. But it is it is a fascinating time covering sports, covering the NFL particularly. And I haven't had this much fun doing my job in quite a while because I I easily could write about three or four more things, additional things, every week than I do. It's just you run out of clock and you run out of brain space. Yeah, only the 13,000 words in your column this week, so really slacking off. Uh, when it yeah. the <laughs> I'll try to do better next week. I'm sure it'll be great. Peter, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks so much, Bill. All the best to you. Absolutely a pleasure to have Peter King here on the Bill Barnwell Show. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We're going to come back next week recapping the draft. A lot to get to. Obviously, we'll see some exciting stuff. Talk about where these new quarterbacks are going and what their situation is like, I'm sure. But more audio coming next week. Thanks so much for listening.